From Cowork 591 Studios, this is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network. I'm Jim Gillespie, and I'm with co-host Dale Reber, and we are with producer Blake Tempest, and this is the Jessup News for April 4th, 2023. Um, I'd like to thank Dale and Blake for being here the last couple, three weeks, and uh, and getting things done. Um, our numbers are up. That uh, that says some good things about them. Well, people say they just can't believe it, and you know it's sort of like looking at a car wreck. You know, just. <laughs> <laughs> um, on today's podcast, uh, we have just some news. Um, we want to talk a little bit about service and art. We're going to talk about this year's Farmers Day just a little bit. We'll talk about the Iowa women in the Final Four game with South Carolina. We'll talk about the rules of baseball through the eyes of an old catcher. We'll talk about the events inside the Steve Brown Arts Center, and we'll give you the top stories in Jessup. Sponsored this week um, by Reyes Concrete Service, Littleton Lounge LLC, Littleton Chatham Historical Society. Littleton Chatham Historical Society strives to accurately document, promote, and preserve the history of the Littleton Chatham area to cultivate interest and educational understandings for future generations. Dream Chaser Acres has joined us, and of course, as always, Cowork591, who's been so kind to to back our podcast. The the Steve Brown Arts Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has a vision for artists, young and old alike, to have the opportunity to better themselves while helping to build the skills of those around them. It will be offering community programming starting in Jessup, Iowa, before expanding to neighboring communities. Programming will include a community speaker series. Um, Dale was our first uh, community speaker that will showcase existing creatives who reside within the community, as well as a pop-up series that will spotlight and partner with local businesses to provide opportunities for community engagements. The long-range vision is to house a rural artist residency program for professional and emerging artists in all areas of arts and amenities. Artists will be offered accommodations and studio space in exchange for contributions of labor and maintenance of the buildings and grounds. We want to do a shout-out to our listeners in Scotland. Um, We've been talking about the Caledonia Gladiators. The Caledonia Gladiators were purchased this year. It's uh, a men's and women's professional team in the British Basketball League, and the men just won the championship okay. in the British Basketball League for the first time in 20 years. Okay, and they're in Scotland? They're in Scotland. Okay. Um, they are working real hard, the, the gladiators are, to make basketball the second biggest sport in Scotland. Of course, the biggest sport is... Is, is is football <laughs> um, the 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 European or the soccer as we call yeah. it in in the United States, but the Gladiators have have an incredible club in Glasgow and they are they are owned by the Timoney family. There, the Timoneys developed a smart version of of a an electric meter on your house. And if you're going to ask me, Dale, how that works, I, I've, 
I've reviewed that and investigated that, and, and I still can't don't tell you. Don't have a clue, okay. No, I don't. There's a reason they've made that, that money. Yeah. But the, the women are hard-charging, and they are coming awful quickly. Um, a good friend of mine, Lisa, um, who, who was um, engaged to, to another friend, Jim, um, manage, helps to manage the women's team there in Glasgow, and that's how I learned about the Gladiators. Okay. I don't know if you read the Krauss family in Des Moines that owns the Come and Go store. Right, right. They have a couple hundred million dollars sunk into a soccer team in Italy, and they're losing money hand over fist, and so there's some controversy about whether or not the Come and Go people should be losing money supporting this soccer team over mm -hmm. in Italy, and I guess they have so many teams that it's most of them lose money. And uh, the problem they have is that the players have no con no loyalty. They can just go wherever they want to, and so the, the big teams have the big players, and so the four same teams keep winning all the time. Right. So uh, they have something on 60 Minutes about the guy. I think he's uh, Mediacom, owns Mediacom, or started Mediacom, and he owns a soccer team in Italy, and they, had, they interviewed him on 60 Minutes, and it's kind of interesting that that came up, and then the next day, they talked about the Krauss family and all the money, and they're going to keep putting money into the team, they say, and so they're going to make it work. So Interesting. That's why gas is $9 a gallon. No, it's not. It's not that much. So. Um, we want to say hi to all our new listeners this week, and we want to say hi to our friends that have been listening since we started. We appreciate your loyalty. I was telling... Telling Blake and, and Dale before we started, um, we have 47 followers on Spotify. And if you get a chance, please follow us. Click on follow and follow us again. The numbers <laughs> will go up. So uh, we'd, we'd appreciate if you, you do that. Um, also, give us a five-star review if you do that. Um, <laughs> a prize for those people that do that? <laughs> we could find some. Um, our friend that uh, was battling cancer, cancer and... In Iowa City, he's out of Iowa City, and he is he is home. Um, he's and he's going back to work week after next. Um, he will he finds out later in April whether or not he's cancer free, okay. um, which is good news. I talked to him Sunday, and he sounds as good as sounded in in weeks. Um, a shout out to our friend in Cascade, Colorado. We know in the coming months of your life you're going to, to be in a battle as you, you work to walk and hike again. Remember, win the minute. Today we have a, uh, a story from an old catcher about, about some rule changes in baseball as well as some old rules in baseball. Dale, would you tell us about that? Well, I, most people are probably aware that... Uh, Baseball has made some changes. They're going to do a no-shift rule where you can't load all your infielders on one side, which they hope will allow more hits to happen and therefore more offense. Uh, they made the bases bigger, which I was had never thought of even as a possibility, but to make it just a couple inches closer between first and second and second and third to uh, provide a little help for the base dealers so that maybe there'll be more of that kind of thing. If you remember the 59 Go-Go White Sox, you remember those? Right. Okay, and all those great <laughs> base dealers, Maury Wills, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, try to put some of that excitement back into baseball. And they've put a, a clock on the pitchers and the batters. And uh, uh, 
You have to get that pitch away in so many seconds, and you have the batter has to be in the box ready to go in so many seconds, or the umpire uh, calls a ball or a strike, whichever, and uh, supposed to move the game along a little faster. I've got a couple of unique stories, Dale, real quick, as okay. you go on about this. You talked about stolen bases. I was in St. Louis mm. the night that Lou Brock stole his 100th okay. base yeah. in a, in a mm. season, and I was actually in Waterloo the year that Willie Wilson stole his 100th base when him and Clint Hurdle played for the Waterloo, uh, um, I believe it was the Waterloo Royals that okay. year. And they put a lot of excitement into baseball yes, with that base stealing. It was it was very interesting. And me, I don't really worry about the time of a game because I like baseball. Right. And if they didn't have an Oregon and then all this other hoopla, I don't really need that. I just the game is enough for me. But uh, I know they have to do a lot of things to get more fans. And if they can get them out of there in two to two and a half hours, I think that's what they're reaching for. But uh, I don't. It never bothered me if it went three hours or. Uh, unless it was that, of course, you never know. It could be ten to nothing. And you're just sitting there, and all at once, boom, there it goes. And uh, we were at a game in Durham, North Carolina, Durham Bulls. Yep. And I think it was the second inning. Uh, Durham scored ten runs. And that's all there was in the whole game. Ten runs in one inning is a zero 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 both sides. So it ended up ten to nothing. And there was Fourth of July. Supposed to have fireworks. So we had to sit there a half hour, 45 minutes till it got dark enough to shoot the fireworks because the game had gone so rapidly. And so it's not always good to go fast. So, uh, But the one I wanted to talk about the most today and see what you think about this is that in AAA, in Des Moines and other AAA clubs, uh, not on the weekend, not Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but the rest of the games are experimenting with an electronic umpire. You know, if you watch on TV, they have a little box there. Right. Well, they'll have somebody watching that and the umpire will have an earpiece and they'll watch him where the, if the ball touches any part of that box he'll say strike and the umpire will indicate a strike if it doesn't he'll indicate a ball and so uh they're taking the human element out of the balls and strikes that's interesting and they say they've been doing it in the lower minors the last few years and it's worked very very well that the call is almost instantaneous and that uh you take away all those quibbles and arguments about the strike zone. Yeah. And so uh, that's where they're headed. And I like the little box because you can look at umpires and say, yeah, that guy, he's called <laughs> He misses that every time. Or he called it a ball last inning and now it's a strike. So it gave you something to talk about. So I'm not real sure how I feel about this, but the consensus was in the paper when they talked to people is that, well, if they're doing it in AAA, it won't be long until it comes up because that's the way they, they experiment with it in the with things in the minors, and then they uh, bring it up to the majors. Right. And so these rules here that we're talking about before, they were all done in the minor leagues for a few years. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I, I hate to see too much of the human element taken out of the game, uh, but I can also see where uh, – this actually this would help shorten the game and it keeps those batters from yelling at the umpires. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? I don't know. Came through the ear. I'm just so I uh, I'm not sure how that's all going to work. But it was just I had not heard that they were doing that and it's just real interesting to see with these other rule changes now. This is coming to AAA mm -hmm. uh, this year and so we we'll have to go to a game in Des Moines and see how it works. Yeah, that's sometime. during the week. Yeah, they said like Monday through Thursday. But on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the umpires will do the calling of the balls and strikes. Right. So, uh, but the umpire is still there even with electronic 
to uh, call it, do everything else the home plate umpire has to do, which mm -hmm. is more than you think if you think if you start adding up all the different things they have to keep track of. But uh, the balls, the strikes will be called by the, I guess by the computer, by the little box that's on the screen. And oh, so, will they do the check swing too? I wonder that the umpire would have to, the umpire has to decide that. Okay. See, that's one thing the umpires would have to decide things like the, the. Uh, the computer thing will only tell you if it was in the strike zone or not in the strike zone. That's all it will tell you. Okay. Uh, all those other things like check swings and uh, whatever, uh, the umpire would have to decide. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he can't just go to sleep there. All right. Okay. So those are the kind of the new things. And uh, I don't know if people have an opinion about that. Uh, I don't know. Baseball was a big problem. So I thought I'd ask you a few questions, Gillespie. All right. Okay. All right. So. <clears throat> Can I tell you this? I'll tell you this. Baseball in my family was giant. I mean, I, my uncles were huge into baseball. One was a, a minor leaguer, mm -hmm. um, and it was it was important. And when I was young, my eyes were bad, and I barely hit my weight, and I was skinny. I was like 129 when I graduated. Yeah. So, really? yeah. oh, jeez. Yeah. I got a leg that weighs more than that. So. <laughs> oh, man. So, baseball was huge in my family. Yeah. So, yeah. But go ahead. Well, here. I was just, I, I had a, two brothers, one eight years older, one 10 years older. So, they were playing high school ball when I was elementary school. Right. And so, I went to all the games. And that's, in Hazleton, that's all we had was baseball. Mm -hmm. It was, this was in the 50s, too, when baseball was very, very important. And, uh, so I grew up with baseball, and it's always been my favorite sport. And uh, uh, I was too fat, too slow, too short for basketball. <laughs> but you know, baseball is nice because any body size, shape you have, you can if you can hit, they'll find a place That's for you to right. play. And so uh, I enjoyed it very much, and I'm glad I had the experiences I did. Uh, both good. It's a killer. I mean, it'll break your heart faster than anything. It will. You know, you can go three for three, and then you get up there with somebody on base. You need that run, and you look like a clown and strike out and, <laughs> and just ruined your whole day, you know. So you, I did really well. Yeah, but you didn't win the game. Yeah, I know. So, uh, <laughs> so. all right. Uh, I was going to mention, too, uh, <laughs> that uh, these old-timey rules in Dearborn, Michigan, at the Henry Ford Museum, it's called uh, Greenfield. I think it's the name of the little town they have there. But they have a, a, a league where they play with the 1800s rules. And we were out there and saw them play, and it's very interesting. You talk about a slow game. I mean, it's slow, but they have a lot of runs, too. But uh, the rules are very different, and the rules have evolved. Like these new ones we talked about now, baseball's evolving a little bit. But still, they say if you were in a coma for 100 years, and when you woke up, you were in a baseball diamond, you'd know immediately what was going on right. because it hasn't changed for the most part. It's just the same as it was 100 years ago. The bases are still 90 feet. The pitcher's mile, 60 foot, 6 inches, that sort of thing. And you'd know exactly what was going on. So uh, I, I love that about baseball, too. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, Gillespie. <clears throat> All right. In the early days, if you were the batter, could you tell the pitcher where you wanted the pitch to be? I am guessing you probably could tell him. It doesn't mean it was going to be there, but you probably could tell him. Yeah, you you could uh, request a pitch at a certain spot, and if it wasn't there, they give you another chance. They give the pitch another chance. But if you did it too often, then they call a ball. And if you had five balls or so, then you got to walk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a lot of it was at the umpire's discretion. Of but you could actually call 
for the pitch you wanted. Uh, the pitcher had to put it where you wanted it. Uh, fly ball, you catch a fly ball, all the batter's out, right? Right. Yeah. Was there ever a time when you didn't have to catch it on the fly, you could catch it on the bounce and the batter would be out? Well, I'm guessing if you're asking the question, yes, no was. I was thinking, how can I answer these questions where the answer is not obvious? I don't know. <laughs> yes, they had it where, and I'll tell you, okay, make it harder. Why do you suppose they had that rule if you caught it on the first bounce, the batter was out? Because it was so hard to catch it without a, without with the glove at the time? Yeah, they had no gloves. Right. They were barehanded, so that's the rule. Okay. Yeah. So they changed it to you had to catch it on the fly, but if it was a foul ball and you caught a foul ball on the bounce, they were out. Ah. They, they modified the rule that far, and then they finally modified it uh, all the way yeah. later on. So they had a lot of debate about that. Okay. Uh, did pitchers always... <laughs> I know. Did pitchers always throw overhand? Was it always an overhand game? Um, I would, I would guess not. Yeah, it wasn't. It was underhand. Okay. It was it was underhand, and uh, they were called the Knickerbocker rules, and the the ball must be pitched, not thrown. The first man to go electric, according to Major League Baseball's official historian, was a man named Tommy Bond. He raised his delivery just above the waist in the mid-1870s, and from there, it was only a matter of time before the overhand delivery was what everybody was doing. So, Were bats always round? Rounded? Rounded. <clears throat> I, it would have been hard. No. Okay. Actually, they had a, a while. Uh, they allowed the bats to have a flat face, like cricket bats. Oh. They were flat on one side. And in 1885, they adopted this policy. And uh, so they got more runs because they are more hits, of course. They were trying to juice up the game. Uh -huh. and so, but the, the splinters were quite dangerous off those bats, ah, as you can imagine. Yeah. They hit on the edge or anything. And so uh, the rule was rescinded in 1893, but for five, eight years there. You could have a flat side on on one one side of your back could be flat. I still worry about that yeah. happening today with the bats um, being busted yeah. off and, yeah. and and killing someone. Yeah. God forbid that ever yeah. happens. Yeah, but it's just you know, you see those splinters, they go flying. Yeah, and I know they've. Is it the maple bats that are so bad? Or there's one kind of a certain kind of wood where they really try to get the players not to use that, but. Uh, uh, yeah, because you see those bats, they just explode in the yeah. major league sometimes. Yeah. And, so, uh, and a lot of that, I think, is because they have the real thin handle. Right. I was reading that Babe Ruth had a 52-ounce bat. Oh, wow. His didn't splinter at all, but most people now wear like a 32 or 33. Yeah. And so uh, that was really different. But uh, a statistical problem they had, I want to ask you this question, but for one year, they counted walks as hits in the, in the scorebook. And so... Uh, they rescinded it the next year. Well, Cap Anson, who's from Marshalltown, by the way, and is in the Hall of Fame, that cost him 60 hits. Oh, wow. <laughs> they took those walks away. And that stripped him of the batting title and also kept him out of the, being the first member of the 3,000 hit club. So uh, uh, they later, Major League Baseball, rescinded that decision and gave him those as hits because that was the rule. And so he ended up in the Hall of Fame with... 3,400 hits, and he had one terrific mustache, too, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> Cap Anson, I've written, he is from Marshalltown. Who's the other Hall of Famer from Iowa? There's maybe more than one, but who's the other one that I know? Oh, he's from New Hampton, isn't he? Uh, no, I don't think he made it. He's in the Hall of Fame. 
I know who you're talking about. Bob Feller. Sure. Bob yeah. Feller yeah. Uh, was in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Cap Anson was uh, one of the main, very vocal against black players playing and one of the main guys that uh, that made it so hard for black players to get into the major leagues back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Right. So uh, it always makes you feel a little bad about. Uh, oh, just, yeah, uh, it does. He's from Iowa. I think he's in the Hall of Fame. And I think Pete Rose ought to be in the Hall of Fame, too, for anybody cares. But yeah, uh, I, 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 I can't believe you. that uh, they uh, won't let him in you know, before he dies. But uh, Everybody gambles on the game now. Well, well, sure, they advertise it and they support it. And yeah. Major League Baseball makes money from it. And so yeah. uh, I don't know. But uh, We talked about umpires a little bit earlier. And I'll say this, that in these days, the old days, they would pick a prominent community member out of the crowd, like the mayor or a, a councilman or whatever, to be the umpire. And they would take a, like a rocking chair or an easy chair out somewhere around the mound, and he would sit in the chair and call the game. And everybody called him sir, and his decisions were never questioned. It was all very uh, highfalutin. But he, some, often he would be wearing a suit with a top hat and this sort of thing, right. and uh, very much... Uh, uh, a more comfortable umpiring, right? Because you just sit in a chair and uh, and call the game, and so uh, okay. I guess you go one more. Uh, can you think of a reason why there would not be walk off home runs back in the olden days? If this would be within the 1900s, I'm guessing there were no fences. Well, a lot of times there were no fences. Uh, I read one report where in the outfield they would have the fans would be in the outfield as spectators. But they would string a rope, and the fans would hang on to the rope and make a like a semicircle, right. and the rope was the, the wall. And that when their team was batting, they would move the rope in, and when the opposite team was batting, they'd move the <laughs> rope back. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting, yeah. But, no, the, the thing was, is for a while, in the ninth inning, if you were behind, say... Yeah. Say so you come up to bat and you need a run or two runs to win. Yeah. If you hit a home run, hit it over the fence, well, all you need is that guy in second base to score. So they would give you credit for a double, and that was the end of the game. So they say that cost Babe Ruth quite a few home runs in ah. his career. And, and there was another one where they did not have, this was older, the term, they'd have home run. And so I said the one guy hit the ball over the fence with the left fielder, jumped over the fence. The ball went into the river, so he got a boat and went in out in the boat to get the ball, <laughs> thinking he might get the guy at home. And so, uh, so they didn't have anything like a home run for quite a few years right. until they finally decided that if it was over the fence, well, then it's done with. But I thought, uh, I thought it'd be pretty funny to see a guy in a boat out there, like in Pittsburgh or whatever, trying to get a, a ball out of, uh, out of the river and try to get a guy out. So, so baseball, very weird sports. A lot of screens, things happen, and you can watch it like I have for 60 years, more than that, and you still find things happen that you have absolutely never seen before. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's what makes it interesting. So that's all I have about baseball. Uh, so. That's wonderful, Dale. Thank you. Um, in Jessup City news, street work will be starting soon in the city limits of Jessup, most prominently on 6th and Main, as well as other streets of Jessup. They're uh, replacing some cement. Uh, a number of flags were replaced that fly on Jessup streets during the holidays. <clears throat> City insurance was updated by the Miller Bogle Insurance Agency. Um, blue and orange progress 
Um, it's an area out by the tile plant that was owned by Ben Renchi. It was sold, half of it was sold um, to Ag Service <coughs> Fertilizer, excuse me, Mix Company, west of town. And they are going to make fertilizer out there, I believe. Um, the city is working to replace a dump truck, but because of COVID, um, it's, uh, it's hard to get a dump truck right now. So they are, they are, uh, waiting on that, but they have it on order. Okay. So also, um, the city's hired Brock Barnhart as a new full-time police officer hired Randy Samick as a part-time police officer. He was the chief of police in Janesville um, for a while. Um, and uh, here's something that is uh, quite interesting. There's North Street work project from Blackhawk County out by the golf course um, into town. They will be working on on that this project um, during the summer this year. Okay. And the estimated total cost of that will be one point two million dollars. Um, I believe half of that is going to come from the county, and half of that comes from Jessup. As I understand, North Street half of the street belongs to Jessup, and the other half belongs to the county. Yeah. And so they have to work together when they're doing anything repair wise or whatever. So, yeah. That's the I, way I understand it. So I, I know um, that when. Blackhawk County updated that road out there a few years back. Um, we tried to get involved with them. You know, it's hard to get two counties <laughs> and a city yeah. all hand in hand, and it just didn't work out. Yeah. But uh, mm. the city, that, that road needs a lot of work. So mm. the, the city and the county are working together on that. And that, that will be done this summer. In in um, obituary news, um, there is uh, news about um, Catherine Wellner from Dunkerton. Um, she was 86 years old, and Catherine was born August 5th, 1936, a daughter of Nick Wellner and Agnes Elizabeth Meyer Wellner. She was the first infant-born at Old St. Francis Hospital in Waterloo, Iowa. Wow. She attended Dunkerton schools before working many years as a nurse's assistant at the OB department at, at St. Francis Hospital. Rather interesting. Yeah, it really is. Catherine was a member of St. Francis Catholic Church in rural Dunkerton, Iowa. She dedicated her life to God and helping others through her church and work. Through the years, she attended Mass at many area churches and was moved by by the work and accomplishments at Camp Courageous of Iowa in Monticello, Iowa. Catherine is survived by many cousins, including Mary Gammerdinger of Guttenberg, Dorothy Shannon of Raymond, and Helen O'Connor of Ryanbeck. Also her honorary niece, Julie Ridinghouse of Dunkerton. Catherine's parents preceded her in death. Memorials will be directed at the, to the Dunkerton Museum Fund. The Another... One is a longtime Jessup residence, um, Kenneth Kirkhoff, 83 years old. Um, Kenneth Joseph Kirkhoff was born September 22, 1939, in Independence, Iowa, the son of Raymond John Kirkhoff and Helen Marie 
Haben Kirchhoff. He graduated from Jessup High School with a class of 1958. On January 2nd, 1960, he was united in marriage to Marilyn Ann Weber of St. John Catholic Church in Independence, Iowa. Kenny worked for Waterloo Wood Bearing Company in Waterloo, Iowa for 15 years. He then worked as a machinist for John Deere's for 28 years before retiring in 2003. Kenny was a member of UAW Local 838 as well as St. Anthanasius Catholic Church. Kenny is survived by his wife, 63 years, Marilyn Kirkhoff of Jessup, one daughter, Deb Miller of Independence, two sons, Mark Kirkhoff of Hiawatha, Doug Kirkhoff of Jessup, three grandchildren, one great-granddaughter, and five step-grandchildren, eight step-great-grandchildren, and one brother, James Jimmy Kirkhoff of Jessup, and one sister, Janice Sagers of Asbury, Iowa. He was preceded in death by his parents, three brothers, Lawrence Kirkhoff, Ralph Red Kirkhoff, and Robert Kirkhoff, and one sister, Marlene Ohl. And the third one is close to Dale and I, as, as we both worked with his wife. Um, Gary Raleigh passed away. Gary was 83 years old, and they were living in Independence, Iowa. Gary D. Raleigh was born November 10, 1939, in Cedar Falls, the son of Merton D. Raleigh and Viola May Peg Salzman Raleigh. He graduated from Jessup High School with a class of 1958. Gary joined the United States Navy and served his country during the Vietnam War <clears throat> aboard the USS Independence aircraft carrier. While in the Navy, he met the love of his life, Gladys Bowen, and they were united in marriage on February 26, 1966, in Landover Hills, Maryland. The couple moved back to Iowa and made their home in Jessup. I know that Gary was involved in the blockade of the Cuban Missile Crisis as oh, well. in the Navy. Yeah. yeah, in the Navy. Yeah, Gary worked as a supervisor at the John Deere Product Engineering Center in Waterloo, Iowa, and retired after 34 years. Gary loved to play golf and watch Iowa Hawkeye sports. He liked his old cars, especially his 1957 baby blue Chevrolet convertible. He loved to travel with Gladys and enjoyed going on golf trips with his buddies. He liked listening to 8-track tapes. Yes, you read that correctly. Gary truly cherished spending time with friends and family. Gary, Gary was a lifetime member of the First Presbyterian Church in Jessup, being an elder for many years and on the personnel committee. He was a member of the Jessup Golf and Country Club, Pumpshire American Legion Post 342, and the Jessup Lions Club. He was a former member of the Masonic Lodge, and an honorary member of the 182nd Jungle Fighters of the Illinois National Guard. Gary is survived by his wife of 57 years, Gladys Raleigh of Independence, three sons, Greg Raleigh of Jacksonville, Florida, Jeff Raleigh of Des Moines, and Jason Raleigh of Jacksonville, Florida. Three grandchildren, Daniel Raleigh, Austin Raleigh, and Sidney Raleigh, one nephew, Mike Taylor of Shawnee, Kansas, and two grandnieces, Emily Taylor and Abby Taylor. Gary was preceded in death by his parents and his sister, Elena King. Gary was a nice man. Yeah, yeah very nice. I can't imagine him ever being mad. No. Uh, just a no. uh, very nice man. The, uh, I want to thank White's Funeral Home for those obituaries. 
Um, in the Jessup Library news, um, the Little Tots Toy Story Time meets every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. for song stories and, and more. The Spice Club every month, we now offer a new spice with its history, common uses, and recipes to try. The April Spice is ginger. Eat yours today at the front desk. We also have the past month spices available on the first-come, first-served basis, if you missed one. This month's book club... Join us on Monday, April 17th at 1 p.m. to discuss the April book, the, Ta- the Taking of Jemima Boone by Matthew Pearl. Books are available in the JPL. Kids in the Kitchen, Wednesday, April 19th at 3.30 p.m. Learn how to make easy kid-friendly snacks. Join us this month. Make sweet and savory roll-ups. All snacks may include nuts, gluten, and or dairy, so plan accordingly. Recommend for ages kindergarten through fourth grade. Remember, free registration is required on Facebook. Friends of the JPL is a nonprofit support organization that improves the services and resources of the library, promotes citizen involvement in the community, and hosts fundraising events to offer programs and resources for all ages. Membership forms are available at the library. Support the JPL with Velvet Coffee Company Bookworm Blend Coffee. Also buy the 30-ounce Polar Camel water bottle at the QR code at the front desk. New things to check out. The JPL is more more than books. We offer croquette sets, disc golf, a digital camera, spike ball game. Other non-book items include craft stamps, candy molds, and magazines to name many items. Don't forget the Dolly Parton Imaginary Library that Dale's talked about multiple times on here. Uh, The Friends of JPL and Heartland Technology Innovative Wealth Management and the Jessup Paint and Auto Body, Jessup Chamber of Commerce, and Jessup Public Library Endowment Fund sponsor that activity. Some of the new bestsellers at the JPL include Countdown by James Patterson, Storm Watch by C.J. Box, the London Seance Society by Sarah Penner, Codename Sapphire by Pam Genoff, Spare by Prince Harry, Eight Rules of Love by Jay Shetty, and Walk the Blue Line by James Patterson. The Dale, Dale had an announcement concerning the postal carriers. Well, I, uh, my wife was volunteering at the food pantry in Independence and uh, uh, came over and said they're the mail carriers, uh, which every year... They have a food pantry pickup. Uh, is going to be May the 13th, and and uh, it's voluntary on each post office. And so I'm I can't say for sure that the Jessup people are going to be doing it, but uh, if you watch for that, uh, if they are, why well, they will be letting you know, and that'll be May 13th. And so uh, can I tell something else about May, or you you go ahead? Okay, uh, Memorial Day. Last year we didn't have a program out at our cemetery, and it was kind of disturbing that we didn't. And so uh, this year, uh, Alan Wright is organizing uh, with some of us Farmers Day guys. And uh, last year, we had flags up from the end of uh, Holly Street on the east side out to the cemetery. Well, this year, we're going to start, hopefully, (laughs) on 6th Street and go all the way out to the cemetery with flags on both sides of the road. And so the flags took a real beating last year. We remember how windy it was. But we've replaced all of those. And... uh, 
So that'll be a nice drive out there with flags on both sides. And we're going to have a, a short program. The Legion guys will be there. And Nancy Eckholm is going to sing. And I've been asked to say a few words about uh, something. And I guess I didn't sound very well. But <laughs> I've been asked to say a few words. And so it'll be a short program like we used to have. And so that will be uh, on Memorial Day. So I hope that a lot of you will come out and uh, participate with that and take that drive out through the flags. It's, it's uh, very impressive looking. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, in other Jessup news, Allison Bovey of Jessup competed mm. in the Iowa mm. National Association of Teaching or Teachers of Singing auditions at Central College last weekend and took home first place in the Youth Musical Theater Division and third place in the Youth Classical Division. She is a student of Dr. Jessica Saunders with Saunders Voc Vocal Studios here in town. Sounders Vocal Studio is also in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So um, if you are interested in vocal lessons, talk to Dr. Jessica Saunders. And if, you, if you'd like more information, contact me at 319-290-0241 or jgillespiegolf at gmail.com for more information about that. Um, I know Dr. Sanders is, is scheduled to be on... Has been, was scheduled to be a, a guest here, and uh, I was on assignment, and had had to cancel that. Uh, the the uh, but I've heard Miss Bovey sing multiple times, and and she's quite the talent. Okay, so that that's great. Um, I know one of the weeks I was off, Dale talked about. Uh, the Iowa Hawkeye men's basketball team letting him down and be, being heartbroken <laughs> more than once. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, many many people have uh, have been gladdened by the Iowa women yes, here yes. Uh, oh. um, recently, as they the, although this will be out next Monday, the day after uh, the the national finals for the women. Um, tonight, I'm going to talk a little bit about the women's final four. And Iowa, and some of the some of the, some of the events, and how the women's game is is coming um, to the forefront right now. So uh, Iowa by now has played South Carolina. South Carolina's record is thirty six and oh, They are led by Dawn Staley, um, the head of USA Basketball, women's USA Basketball, and. Obviously, Lisa Bluter is the head of the Hawkeyes, and they are 30 and six. They play Friday night uh, this past. They played for this past Friday night. So hopefully, you watch that game. Um, something rather interesting. Uh, they were on ESPN here. Um, would have been um, over the Sunday night, and they, there were 2.5 million watchers of that game um, more than any NBA game that ESPN has had on this year. Oh, is that right? That's okay. Uh, they they hammered it and and in the other um final eight games they had two point one or better, which was higher than any other any mm. NBA game okay. they had on. The women's game is is coming fast. It it's the, the women's Final Four ticket is selling for $275 right now, <laughs> and the men's ticket 
is selling for $75 right now. Um, and part of that is um, the majority of men's teams that made it were underdogs. Yeah. Um, although underdogs are good, you don't want to have more than one underdog. <laughs> right. Because they have no fan following anywhere except their own little area. That's, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, um, the worst thing could happen is Miami plays Florida Atlantic in the finals the, yeah. um, next or tonight. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, be, yeah, no, but I, I have no interest in any of those four teams. So no, that's very no. interesting. Um, but back to the women, um, the women's game is coming. Um, you go back, Sue Bird had an incredible impact on it. She played in 20 years um, professionally. She played in at least four, if not five, Olympics and won gold medals in all of those. She was a Connecticut player. Diana Taurasi, another Connecticut player, played for in four Olympics, I believe, um, plays for um, the Phoenix team. Um, we, we, we were all made aware of Brittany Griner, the, uh, the, the former Baylor player that plays for Phoenix, uh, that was uh, that was arrested in Russia and mm-hmm. held there, but probably the most prominent women's basketball player in our country right now is is a Des Moines woman by the name of Caitlin Clark. Um, spell it C A T L I N Clark. Um, spell it right that way. She had a a a triple. Double the other night with 41 and 41 points, something like 10. 12 assists uh, and 10, 11 rebounds. That's right, 12 assists and 10 rebounds. And today she was the winner of the Nysmith Award. If you you look at this, in in 2019, Megan Gustafsson, an Iowa player, was the winner of the Nysmith Award. In 2021, Luke Garza was the winner of the uh-huh. Smith Award for the men. And this year, Caitlin Clark was the winner of the Smith Award for the women. She, she um, beat out Aaliyah Boston, um, the incredible Pulse player for South Carolina. Uh-huh. Um, she's six foot five from um, the, the island's down in the Caribbean, um, she South Carolina is huge. Let's go back to Dawn Staley. Dawn Staley has changed the women's game, um, sort of taken, taken a lot away from Gina Oriyama. This is the first year in 14 years that Connecticut hasn't went to the Final Four. And a lot of people don't like Gino, Um but look what he's done for women's basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's had a great, a great impact on the women's game. And because of that, um, the, a, a lot of people hate him. But he also controlled USA basketball for a lot of years. So he would get Connecticut girls summer playing time with USA basketball. Yeah. So the best players went to Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. Well, now Dawn Staley is head of USA Basketball, and the best players in our country are going to South Carolina. Yeah. 
And, and Iowa plays South Carolina or would have played South Carolina this past Friday night. Um, and, and South Carolina is huge with uh, Aaliyah, Aaliyah Boston being six foot five. They got another six, seven girl across from her. They're, they're giants. Some of the best defense, probably the best defense in the country is what they are. And there's they 10 argue. of them. They have two, like two, two wings or two squads. They say the people on the five on the first five off the bench are almost as good as the starters. I yeah. Mean, they have some, they have 10 excellent players. So, uh, it, it will be a great challenge for the Hawks. Yeah. Uh, Another another girl on um, Iowa is a girl from Cresco. Her name is Sharon Goodman. Sharon, Sharon um, was named Miss Basketball in Iowa. Her senior year went to Iowa, um, and the year she was she was named Miss Basketball, she lost her mother to cancer. Yeah. Um, and then her freshman year, she had a lot of success. Had as many as 14 points one night against uh, um, Northern Illinois. And then her sophomore summer, she blew her knee. Uh-huh. Um, and so she struggled to come back. She's a redshirt, she's a redshirt sophomore this year. She's, she's on the bench, but she hasn't played much. She's been slowed by that. Women's basketball has taken off, and a lot of it has to do from a man from from Iowa named E. Wayne Cooley. E. Wayne made Iowa the place for basketball. You go back to the 40s, 50s, 60s, um, and Veterans Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa, the, 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 the girls' state tournament sold mm-hmm. out every year. Yeah. Thousands of people would go to that. Yeah. You know, so... So in Iowa, basketball has been very big, but it, because of Caitlin Clark, it's it's spreading throughout our country. I think it's interesting that uh, Jensen, that's an assistant coach in Iowa, she played basketball in Iowa, and she averaged like sixty six points a game in she high school, did. and with a three point or three player, and. Uh, those kids, no matter how well they do it, and on her, yeah, I did sixty-six. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she was a fantastic player. Coach, but, uh, Coach Jensen played at Drake, and and uh, if you look at look at Coach Jensen, she's she's had a tough career as an assistant to Coach Bluter. Not tough basketball wise, but her mother died this time of year during basketball. Yeah. Her brother died during this time of year during basketball, and the the day that uh, Iowa qualified for the Final Four, um, the morning, the morning uh, before the game, um, her, her father passed yeah, away. I saw that. So she she is she's an incredible lady, uh, Jan Jensen. If you look at Iowa as a Final Four state. Um, We've qualified. We qualified six teams over the years. Um, Iowa qualified in, I believe, it was fifty nine, nineteen sixty, and nineteen eighty. The men did. Uh-huh. The women qualified thirty years ago when Vivian was here. Um, that would have been a ninety, I believe. Ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so there's four. Um, 
Maury White was the head coach at Drake when Drake qualified. Yeah. Um, was that in 70? That was 6970, I think. 6970. Yeah. And then obviously the, um, the Iowa women this year were the sixth time mm -hmm. where an Iowa team has qualified for the Final Four. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty big news. Dale, what do, you, what do you have as far as, as anything for Farmer's Day? Uh, not much different uh, so far. We had a uh, problem with one of our entertainers last year. We finally got that resolved, and she cashed the final check we sent her, and so now we're good with her. That was a big worry. And we're still uh, just trying to put the final touches on everything. And uh, when I can, I'll bring a list of exactly what we have for sure, but I've been waiting a little while just to see if some of these things uh, final uh, get finalized. But uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a good three days. And I told you before, we have no carnival on Thursday, but they will be there Friday and Saturday. And they'll have the wristband deals, which I think are wonderful. Uh, have a bunch of entertainment lined up. And so, I don't know, ask about all that we have so far that's new. Or they said it's not even new, it's just uh, working on it. I know that um, Pat McIntosh is looking for help for the arts, the art competition that they do, I know yeah, they domestic judge, arts, yeah. Yeah, the domestic arts yeah. competition. Um, if you get a chance to talk to Pat about that, please. And um, we used to have an art show also with Farmers Day, where artists would submit a work and then we'd, there'd be judges for them. And uh, that might be something for this organization to take on in the years ahead. She uh, still does that. They did that last year. Did we they have paintings yeah. and sculptures and that sort of thing. They did. Okay, we. I guess I thought I never get in there because I do other things. But yeah. I, uh, I always thought it was more like sewing and gardening yeah. and that sort of thing. But uh, we uh, we sponsored the uh, the grand the grand winner last oh, year okay. was a, was a, a lady by the name of Reese from uh, from uh, Fairbank, Iowa was the grand champion last okay. year. Yeah. So you're right. Um, in, in news from uh, Littleton Free Watermelon Day, uh, Saturday, remember that's July 29th, 2023. Music will be the Belvins and Powers, the Chet Reagan music with Mandy McCleary, and the Bad Habits Band. Um, artists include Bruce Gordon, Helen Hunter, and Barb Prawl is going to do a sip and paint session. Food vendors include the Jessup Lions Club, Boyd's Food Truck, and Totally Rolled Ice Cream of Northeast Iowa. So far, the sponsors are, are Littleton Lounge LLC, Reyes Concrete, Littleton Chatham Historical Society, Dream Chaser Acres, Boyd's of Fairbank, Jessup Lions Club, Independence High School FFA, and they are going to uh, donate watermelon for free watermelon. Um, the Thomas James LLC and the Totally Rolled Ice Cream of Northeast Iowa. There are more items, events, and sponsors to come. This is presented by the Steve Brown Arts Center. I have one thing more I forgot. One of my Farmer's Day report is uh, last year we hired a lady to come in and do face painting. And so we paid her, and so kids could come up, and it cost them absolutely nothing. And the lady's coming back again this year. And so uh, 
if you want your kids to get their face painted, be absolutely no charge to you. Farmer's Day is just paying her to come and do this as a, a little extra little treat. So she will be back again. I think all three, I think Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I think all three days. So don't hold me to that, but I think all three days should be there. So. She was a hit. She was right by our area, yeah. and there there was a line. Yeah, she's very good. Yes, she is. Very nice lady too. So yes, she is. Uh, some Steve Brown Art Center announcements. Art in the park. Um, following most lunches art in the park this summer will be a art in the park um, where there are different lessons taught, and that's in association with the Jessup Public Library. Um, hopefully next week we have an announcement about a theater camp that will be in Jessup this, this coming summer. Um, don't forget Littleton Free Watermelon Day, July 29th, 2023. We are in discussion with the Buchanan County Libraries. There's nine libraries in Buchanan County. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. And we are going to try to do a, a StoryCorps event at each library. We're in, in conversation with... Um, those libraries right now. Okay. We've been trying to do that, and our goal was February, and that just didn't work. So hopefully we get that done this summer. Um, May through October, we plan on being at the Independence Farmers Market and the Frank Lloyd Wright House near Guasquedon. And there's news of a possible storefront for the Steve Brown Arts Center. Whoa. We are in discussion with that, and... We may have that open at the end of this coming summer um, if things if things work out right. Uh, keep your eye, your your ears open for updates, and there is also the possibility of a couple of artists actually opening a place here in town. Keep your ears open for that. There's okay. more to come for that. So. Uh, there is much happening in, in the arts, art area right now. Remember, the Steve Brown Arts Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has a vision for artists. Young and old like to have the opportunity to better themselves while helping to build the skills of those around them. It will be offering community programming starting in Jessup before expanding the neighboring communities. Programming will include the community speaker series that will showcase existing creatives who reside within the community, as well as a pop-up series that will spotlight and partner with local businesses to provide opportunities for the community engagement. Remember, if you want to know more, go to the stebrownartcenter.org website, go to Facebook for Steve Brown Arts Center, or go to Twitter for the Steve Brown Arts Center. If you'd like to donate to the Steve Brown Arts Center or have an idea for the event, go to stebrownartcenter.org and follow the link. If you have news or would like to sponsor us, email us at jgillespiegolf at gmail.com or call 319-290-0241 and leave a message. Don't forget, go to Spotify, follow, unfollow, and follow <laughs> us again. Hit, hit the five stars. Make sure you're, make sure you're uh, listen, listening to Dale. Um, and Dale and Blake have worked real hard for us. I'm Jim Gillespie. Thanks to co-host Dale Reber, our producer Blake Tempest, and Kelly Sihas at Cowork 591 Studios. Remember, 
Each day is about little victories. 